Consumer Eyes, a New York-based brand strategy and insight innovation consultancy. The growth of e-commerce, which has reached dizzying heights thanks to coronavirus, will continue long after lockdown has ended. Consumer Eyes founder and president Ron Rentel says since COVID-19, it's been fascinating to see the opening white spaces for small businesses. On the other hand, the outbreak has also resulted in a significant shift to the direct-to-consumer model with large clients scrambling to understand how they can become an omni-channel provider. According to Alibaba's research, in-person trade shows have historically been an important avenue for sellers to meet and acquire new customers and for buyers to seek out suppliers and see what else there is on the marketplace. Unfortunately, the pandemic has drastically limited this critical channel for trade, so Alibaba has launched a series of live streaming experiences designed to bring buyers and sellers safely together to meet in real time. Next week, from August 18 to 21, the e-tailer is hosting its inaugural US food and beverage online trade show, which features around 40 of Alibaba's top suppliers along with curated interaction, brand discovery, insight into the sector by expert speakers, and one-to-one conversations between relevant parties. JJ Tartarini, VP of Sales at You Love Foods, has signed on as an exhibitor to further market his Cookies with a Compassion startup as the platform gets the brand in front of the right person to take its footstep further. He also noted that strangely enough, COVID-19 has sped up the opportunity for it in the brick and mortar outlets too, as retailers have had time to reevaluate where the market is going and assess what they need on shelves. Ron Rental is one of the show's speakers and will touch on just how much snacking is going on in the US. So often, snacking is not just an indulgence, but actually a de facto way of getting in nutrition. COVID-19 in particular has heightened the demand for functional snacks, along with other movements like fresh and refrigerated snacks. Bakery and Snacks has a lively and detailed discussion with JJ and Ron, along with Katrina Petraki, Director of Business Development at Alibaba.com, about what to expect from the online platform next week and the interesting things happening in the snacking sphere. let's start with you. Um, The launch of Alibaba's online trade platform is obviously in response to COVID-19 pandemic and its uh, social distancing rules. How have you seen the business landscape evolve? Thank you, Jill, and thank you very much to all your listeners as well. Maybe just even before we get there, um, try to explain a little bit to the listeners who might not be familiar with Alibaba.com who we are and what we do. Alibaba.com is one of the largest B2B marketplaces globally. We connect hundreds of thousands of wholesale suppliers with tens of millions of business buyers around the globe across every product category. Obviously, food and beverage is one of the very important categories here in the US, and you are exactly right. (laughs) According to our research, in-person trade shows have historically been one of the most important ways for sellers to meet and acquire new customers. And for business buyers on the other hand side, they benefit a lot by using them to explore new products and new suppliers. 
unfortunately, COVID-19 has drastically limited this critical channel for trade for them. So this is exactly why Alibaba.com launched the U.S. online trade shows. These are a series of category-specific live streaming experiences designed to bring together quality buyers and sellers with each other to meet in real time. The important thing to note here is that we were working very hard to understand how we can help our, our sellers during this time and our buyers connect. Um, so these events are completely free to exhibitors and attendees, and they can do it from the comfort of their home and the safety of their home. So what we do is every month, we focus on a different category. Um, and over the course of a week, we facilitate curated interactions, effective product discovery for all of our brands and wholesalers and distributors on the platform, and also one-on-one -on -one conversations with relevant parties along with keynote speakers. So this is at a high level why we did this um, and, and what they are. Can you tell us more about the specific F&B trade show? Of course, yeah. So the S&B trade show is the second U.S.-focused event in the series of trade shows that we're doing. Um, the first one was in July on supplements and nutrition and featured over 50 different U.S. exhibitors showcasing their capabilities and products to 1,000 registered attendees. And we also had an average of more than 50,000 viewers on social media each day. The one that's coming next week, which is very exciting, is food and beverage. It's happening nice. August 18th to 21st. We're going to have about 40 of our top U.S. suppliers who will be promoting their products to an audience of business buyers. And every day we focus on a different thing. The first day is our favorite snacks and sweets. Uh, second day, August 19th, is focused more on sauces and spices. Then we go into beverages and then we wrap up with a virtual speed networking. So some of our exhibitors, we have here JJ from Yulo Foods and others such as RX Bar, Sugarfina, Elfmurst, and others. And then we will also have an agenda full of expert speakers and keynote speakers who are giving insight into the food and beverage industries. We have here as well Ron who can speak more um, about that uh, from Consumer uh, Eyes. Um, we also have Chloe Sorvino from Forbes and others. And then on the attendee side, um, we already have more more than a thousand registered attendees for the show and we will also broadcast this as I mentioned to all of our social channels. And we have you know major business buyers from companies like Target, Cisco, 7-Eleven, Kroger and others, and also smaller to medium sized ones on the grocery and convenience store category, food service operators such as restaurants, chain hotels and uh, distributors and, and food retailers. Um, so the, the key point is the attendees can expect pretty much the same as in-person trade show experience. Um, they'll hear from our inside, uh, insightful keynotes and passionate exhibitors, and they'll be able to interact and ask questions, request for samples, um, and transact uh, through Alibaba.com with, with our exhibitors. Excellent. JJ, you are VP of sales for You Love Foods, which is a, a snack startup. Um, yeah. Before you, we talk about you exhibiting at the virtual trade show, can you tell me your impressions on how COVID has affected the marketplace? Yeah, so uh, it's a great, great question. So um, for us, you know, I think what's been unique is is we have because we are a consumer packaged good product, um, we've actually seen our our landscape shift. Being especially being a startup, I mean, we we spent 2019 rebranding 
to fit where the market was going. And that's, right. you know, I could go on about that. That's about really the plug of who you love foods is. But what we noticed is once we started selling, we started doing it on, on Amazon. We quickly got part of Alibaba with their, um, with their U.S. small business program. And um, what, we, what we quickly realized is all of a sudden within three months of pushing our product e-commerce, that window was, was opening. And we had to just shift. We had to make a shift there um, to be able to, to, make, uh, to, to ensure that we were, hey, we're already online. We're selling through our website. We're selling on Amazon. How do we now, food is going to be eaten. And if we don't know when retailers could be looking to bring in new products, at least at the time in March we didn't, um, how do we shift to ensure that we're still growing our sales channels the best of our ability? People are at home now. They're going to be ordering things that they normally wouldn't, such as uh, healthy cookies online. Uh, and let's just be the best at that. That's what we had to shift to. Now, what's nice is, in a way, food, I mean, what didn't close during the pandemic? Grocery stores. People still are going to eat consumer packaged good foods. And so from, a high, from hindsight, it's very clear that, um, hey, the food space has, to us, it, 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 sh it shifts, and whether that's permanent or, 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 or um, you know, just temporary is to be determined. But at the same time, people are going to eat food all the time. They're going to go to a grocery store. They're going to find it online. That's a necessity. That's a, what they call an essential, right? Um, and so for us, it, it, has, it was not necessarily, as a small startup, it wasn't necessarily a, um, a drastic change because we were, we were used to kind of getting up to the plate, striking out, trying something else. It was more so how do we do that for this season right now? And, um, and now we look and, and, and a lot has came from that. And it actually, in a way, sped up the opportunity for retailers, for them to look at, look at their sets. Um, we, we just got into the all Colorado Whole Foods stores. And, and that part of that, I believe, was because of COVID. I mean, they had time to look at items on their shelf and, and kind of reevaluate where's the market going and what are we missing. Um, and, and so we weren't too affected by it. It's been kind of a blessing the way it's, it's played out in our, in our favor, I guess. Um, but um, I think with food, it's going to be at least consumer packaged goods. It's not going to change too, too much, or at least we haven't noticed that, as opposed to a storefront or a restaurant or some, some other sort of food sectors um, industry. And Ron, you uh, founded a company, um, Consumer Eyes, which is a brand strategy, insight and innovation consultancy. Uh, going forward, your approach in helping clients to develop successful brand strategies, do you see online being becoming a permanent fixture? Yes. I think what we're seeing is an, an interesting shift uh, so Consumerize is a brand strategy and inside innovation consultancy where we're helping clients look at the fuzzy front end of innovation, thinking about opportunity areas, and then taking them all the way through product and concept development. And what's been interesting about COVID is that we've seen significant shift to DTC. So we've seen our large clients really scrambling to understand how can they bring their offer DTC, and moreover, how can they become an omni-channel provider? That seems to be the kind of growing um, interest is how do I provide products in an omni-channel environment, both bricks and mortar and, and online? So, you know, our process is very much about immersing ourselves in insight and understanding through this this uh, tool we call consumer immersion. And it's really about holistically looking at 
Um, where is the consumer going? How do we think about the trade? How do we think about trends? How do we bring it all together then to define white spaces and places where brands can innovate? I think since COVID, what's been really sort of fascinating is to see um, emerging opportunities for small businesses. So, for example, we also work with founders, and we have a, um, a roster of four founders that we're investor and advisor to, mm-hmm. and those founder companies are thriving in this moment, um, specifically because they're, they've already been able to sell online. So a significant kind of on-ramp for large companies is somewhat already available to small companies if they were agile enough to sell direct to the consumer or to use something like the Alibaba marketplace. So I think that the COVID, the COVID moment has really changed quite a bit in terms of food and what's going to hold uh, and how it's going to hold over. I think that we're going to see consumers absolutely remain embedded in the idea of buying online. I think it's not going to go away. And in fact, it's engaging a broader swath of consumers in the idea of being able to buy online, many who, of whom hadn't prior to COVID. Okay. Uh, Katerina, getting back to you, the trade show next week is an invite-only trade show for the U.S. wholesale seller and buyer market. Why have you limited it to that target market, and do you eventually see this platform rolling out to a wider audience? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Thank you. I mean, the, you're right. The upcoming Alibaba.com online trade show um, events are, are exclusively focused on U.S.-based manufacturers and wholesalers to drive commerce during this critical time. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why they're invite only is we want to make sure, because they're free, we want to make sure that we get the right suppliers and the right buyers to be able to match them. Um, so this is why they're invite only. The reason why they're U.S. focused is because this is a specific initiative for U.S. businesses. However, we we live stream this event to our social media accounts that have a very very global audience, and these events are also part of Alibaba.com's global online trade show initiative of over 20 shows in the next 120 days, which mm-hmm. brings together suppliers from around the world. So this initiative might be focused on U.S. businesses, but on our platform. Uh, we have online trade shows pretty much like every week on a different theme, and it features all uh, geographies. JJ, getting back to you, why did you decide to exhibit at this particular trade show? Yeah, that, no, great question. So for, for us, we, um, a lot of it was when we first were working with Alibaba, I think, it, I think as a, an American brand, you had a segmentation that it's for overseas, right? And, and that's not a bad approach for us. I'm hearing some of the things Ron's bringing up, and I'd love to talk, Ron, further about some of this. But I've noticed personally just kind of trial by fire that oftentimes trends bleed westward east. And we're starting to think, hey, if they're looking for an incentive to bring an American brand, let us get there first and be a product that if the market's going, um, you know, another little plug for us, we're clearing all eight FDA allergies. If we're able to, to beat maybe other brands to places and use Alibaba to get there, and what we were, what we were talking with our sales rep about when we were, were discussing the, the partnership was that, you know, statistics were showing, at least she was speaking of, roughly 30 to 35% of, um, their, of foreign markets are, are willing to pay up to 30% more for an American product. If it's coming from the United States, in the body, on the body, 
it has an appeal to it, and we're outside of Boulder, Colorado. We're going, man, well, I mean, it's great to grow in our backyard, but food is universal. It's something eaten by everyone. How do we grow? Uh, how, do we, how do we go to markets where maybe we're, we're, where if we're being ahead of the curve here, it will bleed somewhere else? That was our initial thought. Now, when, I, when, when, we, when we started working with the, 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 with the trade show, I've noticed that the presence of what Alibaba is doing in, in the United States is a very, very strong pull for us as well, especially uh, being a new vendor, being small, being nimble. Some of the things Ron was talking about, new opportunity for new brands. Uh, to us, I go, this is a great platform. For, and I looked at the list that was sent out for us to get in front of some great names. And if anyone's been in food sales before, 90% uh, of this battle is getting that right person to talk to, right? Talking to the right point of contact. Um, oftentimes, you can run around, send samples to Kroger, and call and talk to the front desk person all day. But until I'm able to actually get an appointment and have FaceTime with the right person, the champion who can actually see the product, and, and now you got to, you know, your product has to sell, has to fit, all that. If, if that's a guarantee, if that's a, if that's a spot of win there, and it's already in a right spot, the product, the, the FaceTime is very, very important. And so for us as a small brand, having Alibaba put so much emphasis on uh, someone like us and saying this is what we're focusing on is this U.S. small business program, and we're going to roll out platforms for you guys to succeed and come along and be part of the Alibaba uh, platform, it's, 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 it's a great opportunity for us, especially as someone who, again, the stigmatization is that, you know, Americans may not know what Alibaba really is, right? right. We don't know how to use it. We haven't really heard of it. Um, and, and so all this hand-holding with, with um, the team setting this up, we were working with Ela. She's been fantastic. Our sales reps, our account managers, everyone we've worked with Alibaba has made this transition seamless for us to start learning how do we use this platform to eventually use it to, to get us to where we're hoping to go. So um, long-winded there, but that is kind of why we, we looked at it and said this is a great opportunity for, for a small brand like ourselves. So you've got very high expectations. Looking at the list, I, I didn't know what to expect, but when I looked at the list, I go, ooh, all right. Um, now that said, I understand a lot of this is, again, nothing in food, at least I've learned. We, we, we base our sales process off once we can send samples to someone. I mean, I can tell you guys everything under the sun about why we're doing what we're doing, and I believe it with all my heart, but until you eat it, it's not buying a car, it's not buying a house. You don't run a risk analysis if you enjoy the cookie or not. If you like it, you eat it again, and you keep eating them, right? And so for us, for us, I'm going, the best way to sell it is I can tell everyone until I'm blue in the face, but they're going to go, of course, JJ, you're the guy selling it. Why, would, why wouldn't you say that? I, I need samples, right? And so I believe especially with the, the 21st event with some of these, um, which is I think the one-on-ones, the 10-minute power pitches, elevator pitches, those type of things, being able to talk to people, gauge their interest real quick, and then get samples sent to them, have them request samples, that's where, they, that's where the game really starts. And so for me, it's not the expectation of closing every deal on the, for us, I think the 18th or the 21st and get 19,000 new stores. I think what it really is is now we got the right guy. So now I'm talking to the buyer at XYZ, and we're able to, um, you know, have a one-on-one -on -one relationship and, again, building that rapport, getting samples to them, 
and, and staying on them um, is is a is is ninety percent of of this job for for me is to get that right person. So um, I think this type of platform, this this is this. I have expectations that if I can do my part, and Alibaba is providing the 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 resources to connect, they're 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 connecting us. Then yeah, there should be we should have some success, right? Is the way I'm seeing it. So. Um, yeah, uh, expectations are there, but it's still on me. It's still going to be on us. We got to still perform once we get the sample sent to whoever they may go to. JJ is right. I mean, if you think of like B two B, it's quite different from B two C, right? You don't right. need hundreds of thousands Correct. of connections. You just need a few long term good quality connections that you can build your business on. And exactly what JJ said is like in the case of Yule of Food. They, they base this a lot of samples. Not everybody is the same. So we're trying to create different opportunities. Like we do allow people to request sample um, so that they can taste the products. We do send attendee lists in advance to all of our exhibitors to make sure that they can review themselves who they want to speak to. And we also do um, speed networking, which is the last day, which actually matches them with buyers based on their requirements for like a five-minute conversation, along with allowing them to present their brand the way they want uh, to to the right audience, so different ways to work for everybody, I guess. Ron, you are a speaker um, on the virtual trade show. Can you please tell us more about what we can expect from your presentation? Yes, absolutely. So what we're interested in, kind of bringing to light, is really just how much snacking is going on in the U.S. It's really even pre-COVID, this enormous amount of snacking has almost taken the place of of meals. And so we've seen this uptick over time in lots of small meals, lots of sort of satisfying snacks and indulgent snacks kind of punctuating the day. And so we're going to kind of take the team through a consumerized look at the world of snacking and highlight things that have to do with functional snacking, for example, and the benefits around snacking. So often snacking is actually a de facto way of getting nutrition. It's not just a treat or indulgence. So we'll be talking to, to the idea of where protein is going vis-a-vis snacking and where is that fitting in as we see the broadening of protein to plant-based and other, other parts of the kind of protein landscape and the deepening of protein. And then a whole look at even, I think what's most interesting about snacking right now is the emergence of fresh snacking. We've seen this okay. kind of really pop. And so refrigerated snacks from the perfect bar on down the line are what's hot. And actually, they've been put upon a little bit by COVID because obviously they're sold cold. It's made those producers kind of have to step back and think about how can they actually get their product in the hands of consumers when typically they're sold refrigerated. So we'll kind of present a range of trends and also a couple of case studies about products that we've worked on in the snacking space that have kind of changed the game. Um, I also wanted to kind of mention a couple of things about COVID and how it's really affected um, the world of FMCG and specifically food. I just think it's important to note that we've seen an enormous shift in, in ways that we probably could never have thought about. So, for example, we see Cisco actually experimenting with selling direct to the consumer. Mm-hmm. We see uh, a model like Gold Belly, which w- has been around since 2013, suddenly it's kind of really beginning to deepen ties with consumers because they're selling restaurant experiences that are now uh, more difficult to achieve 
face-to-face. And then the biggest thing that I think is really important to keep in mind, and I think this is why this whole marketplace has a lot of potential resonance, is we're looking at um, our, our bricks-and-mortar, as we think about bricks-and-mortar retailers, Right now, because of COVID, there is what, what, what is known as negative, assortment, negative growth assortment, right? So big, big uh, retailers are saying, look, give me only the products which will sell and sell well. And I don't want the long tail of SKUs that would otherwise, quote, clog up my shelf. This has sort of made it more important than ever for companies to really figure out where and how to innovate because the trade is kind of saying only the best, only the best sellers, only the fastest turners. That's also then opened up the opportunity for DTC to fill in the gaps. So I think that there's a lot going on there that um, the marketplace will actually help to kind right. of make connects for small brands to, to, um, to really figure out with their trade partners what's the right offer and how could they customize what they're selling to fit the needs of that particular partner. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about talking about snacks and kind of where they're going because it's a big opportunity. And, I, and you know, and not only that, it's fun. I mean, it's a fun way to eat and there's an enormous amount of indulgence. And, you know, you know everybody's talking about the COVID-20. We'll see some people are act- actually going to be fitter on the other end of this and some are going to be fatter. And we'll see where it goes. But snacking can certainly plays into this. So you see the so-called snackification trend continuing? Absolutely. I mean, what we're, we have seen, which is interesting, a kind of, which I think is bizarrely a positive outgrowth of COVID. We've begun, as you've probably read, to see the reemergence of mealtime. And right. so the bifurcation of the day into multiple small parts and the rotating dinner table and families not sitting down to meals um, has been an enormous trend within the U.S. given um, the past 20 years and all that's gone on with millennials, millennial parenting, and then the next generation of Gen Zs, right? So we saw the sort of fracturing of the dinner table, and the breakfast table left us, you know, 25 years ago. Now, because of COVID, we've seen the reemergence of family meals. That has impacted snacking to some degree, and it's made snacking either more considered, more treat-worthy, more indulgence-focused. So meals have returned, quote-unquote, which is a funny thing to say. Um, but the snacking landscape is only deepening, right? So it's not going to go away. In fact, I think it's going to increase because consumers are looking for ways to punctuate that part of the day that either satisfied a need, satisfies their need for nutrition as they kind of walk through uh, a COVID week in which they are, there's access to food and yet they're doing lots of stuff. They're still multitasking, teaching their kids at home, working at home, and they need to nourish themselves. So they're going to kind of continue in that way. And then more than ever, they're seeking comfort. The emotional uncertainty of the world has given people pause to stop and let food kind of be not only their medicine, but their spiritual medicine as well, a way to kind of engage with um, indulgence, which is actually part of a a healthy lifestyle, like a mindful indulgence, which gives me a moment to myself that allows me to recenter my day and move forward. So without a doubt, Snacking will, will continue and probably deepen beyond where it was before COVID. Ron, I love listening to you talk because it's just a lot of the stuff that we're, we were trying to do as a brand. We, we spent 2019 rebranding for, you know, a lot of the things that you're speaking of, right? You know, and, and 
it's just interesting to hear it. I don't think people know it when you just think about, like I have a lot of buddies that, you know, they're going, oh, now it seems like you guys are doing well. We struck out a while. We had a gluten-free cookie and realized that's not where the market's going to be going. It's solely just gluten-free. It may be 2010, but not 2020. And so we had to spend time rebranding and just hearing some of the things from um, guys such as Ron and Consumer Insight and, and kind of, you know, I don't know how you learn it unless you kind of try it or you're in it. And and I just find it very interesting hearing other takes on it because, um, um, you know, that's going to be valuable to us. We've tried to, we, we spent a lot of whole 2019 trying to do that to ensure that we're competitive, right? Because it's very you know, everyone has a barbecue sauce, everyone has a cookie, everyone has a grandma's recipe that tastes good. How do we actually differentiate ourselves to fit where the market really is going? Please tell us more about uh, You Love Foods and the journey that you've uh, followed to date. How we got our original start. My dad actually, it's a family, we're a family business and uh, we started my dad had stomach cancer. He's actually still around. He has an eighth of a stomach. Miracle that he made it wow. past six months. But this, this, this um, scare led to a, a diet change, obviously. And uh, he cut out gluten. And this is about 2013, right? So this is before we had anything going on. It was back, back then. My mom always had a gift with baking. And she started making some gluten-free snacks. There was, she had a cinnamon roll. We, we scrapped those once we started trying to make it into a real thing because um, it, being frozen and how did we ship it and all this, it was very hard to do it trying to send it to a retailer. But the, the bottom line was is once they started making these gluten-free snacks, we started realizing, man, we might be on to something. Now, they, again, this is 2013, 2014, um, and it was just kind of a side hustle at that point. Um, come fast forward till 2018, we still hadn't done as much as we would like maybe with the business. I lost my big boy job. I can tell you it's not out of the – Marriage 101 playbook, and I got married three months before, lose your big boy job, and then go, hey, babe, I'm going uh, to start a company. <laughs> yeah, and it's going to be in food, which means that we $5 a bag, and we're going to make it one day. Um, I, I, if I would have been smarter back then, I'm glad I wasn't, because if I was, I would have talked myself out of trying, right? Yes. Um, but we looked at it, and I said, exactly. I was like, you know what? Why don't we give this a shot? You can keep applying for jobs. We can, uh, and I didn't know anything about the food space. Um, I just knew we had a gluten-free cinnamon roll and a gluten-free cookie that we could try to push places. Um, we, by the end of 2018, we got in about, I don't know, a handful, handful of local retailers, about 20 to 25 stores, and we quickly learned then our packaging wasn't on point. The name was Bobies at the time. It was named after a family dog. It was actually Bobias. We called her Mia Bobia. Nobody could say it. So they went with Bobies, and we're like, well, we're not Nike. We have to. People call us Bobies. We're Bobies. We learned quickly that our brand didn't stand for anything, right? It was just a clever name that we came up with. Our shelf testing wasn't that great. The product wasn't holding up. And then the the real thing was, people were asking for a lot more. This is the end of 2018. They were looking for things that were vegan or nut free or low in sugar. And I mean, for a while, we're going, well, if you take everything out, it stays free too. You know, that's what our motto was, and we realized we got to adapt. Like if we, don't, if we want to make it in this, we got to adapt. So we set out 2019 and product alone and the name change came over the summer. But what we noticed, my brother and I started doing research and we noticed at least in the baked goods space, we said there was not many products that were clearing the eight major FDA allergens. So there's a lot of stuff that was vegan or gluten-free, um, but it would have 
it, a lot of them use coconut, almond, or soy as a flour base. And we said, you know, if we can clear all eight allergens, we'll be low sugar, fat, and calorie. That will be a great spot from a product standpoint. So we tasked my mom with, this is what we need. Can you, can you design this? Can you come up with this? And um, the name came over the summer. It came to my dad. Surprisingly, nobody had the name You Love Foods. We federally, it's internationally locked down now. But the websites were $5.99, like $5.99. <laughs> I was like, my goodness, just get every one of them. You love cookies. You love foods. You love food. You love pet food, whatever we think of. I'm like, how does someone not have this name in 2019? And it's like, don't worry about it. Just Let's just take it. And so – that's when the mission and the branding started coming to life um, and realizing our product is cookies, but it has to stand for more. So what we ended up doing was the whole 2019, we, 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 we were working with a brand designer helping us get the bag to fit the product, right, because we felt the product was good. And come the beginning of this year, we were ready to start selling. First we did that, this is before COVID, we did that on e-commerce through Amazon and our website. Um, our sales, um, the first two quarters grew 700%. A lot of that was COVID. Uh, helped, COVID helped spur that up. But that's when we landed Whole Foods. In the beginning of March, we had a meeting. I thought COVID would put the freeze on it, and it actually sped up the process where we just launched with um, all the Colorado stores um, last two weeks ago, uh, Whole Foods. Okay. So. It's been great to see the early success, but um, it, it, a lot of it has been that pre-planning that Ron was talking about and knowing how, where is this market going, how do we fit it. So yeah. um, that's what we've been able to do. Our whole mission at You Love Foods is cookies with compassion. So our idea was to create great tasting snacks that contribute to compassionate causes. So it's not just a, 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 a cause marketing thing for us. It's actually what we want to achieve with the business. We believe the more we're giving, the more we give, the more we'll get, the more we can give, right? And, and it's got to be this. We've got to be, we got to be someone on the front line with that because, you know, the product has to taste good. It has to fit. But then we have to be socially responsible and impacting things that actually make this world go around. So we want to live out a compassionate mission in all we do. So right now we're partnering with Denver Dream Center. They do a lot with them. Um, inner city kids and under, under, um, you know, underprivileged areas in the Denver metro area, helping kids make sure they're, they're finishing school, getting guys uh, jobs after, after, after um, high school, these type of things that are really helping um, young men and women in our, in our area. We want to continue doing that wherever we could be rooted if we get into other chains. Um, Denver Dream Center sells good in Denver. It doesn't sound so good in like San Diego. We want to be able to partner with various organizations like that. During COVID, um, we did a, uh, we said, how do we be compassionate during COVID? Well, we thought and we said, you know, what if we bought sanitizer from this chemical plant down the road, FDA cleared, right? They had a, the, the license to make it. So we bought a ton of it and we just rebottled it and gave it away with every three pack order online through our website. Yeah, and sense. we said, hey, you know, snacks, sanitizer, support small business. It's our chance to be compassionate. People are paying $12 for a bottle on Amazon. We'll just give it to them. Just got to pay $15 and get three bags of cookies. That's the catch, right? And people went nuts over it. It was actually um, Denver Post wrote about it, Daily Camera. A lot of these local newspapers picked it up. And um, it, it, the whole thing was it had, it had a good story to it. It was, you know, with all the doom and right. gloom, you know, we're, just, we're trying to just give this stuff away. This is something that we want to be compassionate, and it's a great brand awareness piece. And 
mask sanitizers, support your local brethren down the road by supporting small business. And it resonated with the people of, of Colorado. So we want to do that as we continue. That's going to be the heartstring of You Love Foods. I mean, it's in the name. There's a heart, and there, it's there for a reason. But the product has to fit as well. And it's been, you know, two and, it's been two and a half years we've been trying this. And, you know, at some point, I, I, I got to tell my wife, hey, we're, we're actually going somewhere, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're off the ground. Well, it's been a lot of fun. All the very best. Ron, getting back to you quickly, uh, what advice would you give to a, a snack startup? Yeah, I think right now the advice I would give is to basically ensure that you're agile and nimble and that you can pivot quickly. And I think it's, it's a really important moment to step back and to understand really what your point of difference is and to take small steps to ensure that the brand is front and center in the places where people will notice it. I think this, the, 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 the whole kind of ecosystem of the VC founder entrepreneurial culture, which has emerged in food, which is so exciting, hasn't really stopped. It's taken a bit of a pause, and it's gone to the left or to the right, and I think in some ways you see big brands trying to muscle small guys out because they have that ability to kind of own the shelf um, in the retail space. Right. However, DTC, is, they're a little bit – they're vulnerable. And I think for a startup, it's really sort of acknowledging it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to pivot, and you're going to have to look at um, what exactly is the proposition that I'm selling. I, I think when we work with large companies – the most important thing is to understand an unmet need. What are consumers seeking? And JJ's brand, for example, talks to that. It talks to people who are seeking, you know, a healthy product that actually avoid, helps me avoid all these allergens. And there's, an, there's a, a specific need there. Often when we're looking at, you know, small producers, and this is part and parcel of how big companies think. They, they do a lot of research. They have deep pockets in, in order to be able to do that. And they identify an un, unmet or undermet need, and that becomes the foundation for an idea. I think, you know, that then can lead to a long and winded process that, frankly, puts them at a disadvantage because by the time it's all figured out, the opportunity may be sort of lost to a smaller competitor. So big guys can be vulnerable because they take too long to get it done. The small guys, however, need to also make sure that they're not talking to this themselves and that they're actually developing an idea which in and of itself is focused around a consumer need. Because sometimes what you see is an interesting product, an interesting idea, an interesting flavor or brand, but the, but the point of difference or the real value of that product or brand versus the competitive set isn't really there. And I think it's important to not step away from that and to understand what your brand offers and fundamentally build on that idea of a consumer need um, because then, you'll, then, you, then you'll, you'll find yourself actually being able to not just make uh, the first sale but to have a brand that becomes kind of part of their daily repertoire, if you will, that they, they end up bringing into the fold versus just trying and walking away from. Katarina, snack producer wanting to approach Alibaba and um, getting their products listed with you, is it an easy route? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, JJ can speak about that too uh, from his experience, but um, um, the way it works is um, you go to alibaba.com um, and you can um, speak to a representative of ours um, and you just go through a, an onboarding process to verify you as a business and then we handhold you to upload your products, to create your storefront and to be able to sell uh, locally and globally. Alibaba, from a from a small business perspective, has done a fantastic job of that handholding. So, I mean, you know, they, they have a team that helps you build out your product listings um, to be best utilized on their site. Because I think when you go to, say, Amazon and you're not hiring someone and you're just learning it yourself, you can throw up your listing. A lot of people can do that, but that's not going to allow you to optimize the platform the, the way it's built, right? So they. They do a great job with a lot of that, whether it's from your product display uh, or your, your, the way your site looks um, to, to events such as this. And so there's, there is a lot of hand-holding. They're committed to making sure you succeed if you're part of the small business, um, you know, the, the, especially this new incentive of U.S. small business. So just wanted to add that. We've had a great experience. Wonderful. Katarina, for our readers in North America, how can interested parties register for the online trade show? Yeah, absolutely. Um, registration is free and open to businesses to apply to attend at um, alibaba.com forward slash US trade shows. Okay. So that's alibaba.com forward slash US trade shows. You can find the latest agenda there, information, register to attend this show and future shows and in advance of the show, you can actually see JJ's brand and other brands, see recordings or presentations uh, from our speakers and exhibitors, request samples, this is their storefront. And after the show, we will also be distributing a digital swag bag uh, full of industry insights and promotions that you can also find on the same page.